CIM Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Hello everybody, it's election day and I'm here with Gemma Butler and Ali Lee Boom from CIM. Hello there, how are you? Good, thank you. Very good. Have you, you done your civic duty yet and got to the ballot box? Oh, of course, of course. Definitely. 7 a.m. this morning, was it? I'm up bright and early, first in line. You did beat the pensioners or you didn't this I morning? I tried to beat the pensioners, but no, no, about, no one beats the pensioners. And how about you, Ali? No, absolutely not. They're the best bit is dogs at polling stations. Have you seen that? Hashtag dogs at polling stations. I have. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. yeah. There, there may eventually be a move to allow dogs to vote, given their prevalence of polling stations. It would seem sensible, wouldn't it? Well, given some of the stuff we're about to discuss, it uh, wouldn't be totally out of place, would it? Given that I've done a little bit of research on this, I'm surprised that that hasn't already been proposed <laughs> as a, a, a policy. You, Gemma, have found some gems, haven't you, from the I past? I have, I have. I thought, you know, why not in the lead up to the election and here on election day, let's have a look at, you know, some of the crazy, more off-the-wall promises which... Um, you could probably argue some are probably a little bit more achievable than some of the promises we're hearing to, uh, we've heard in the lead up to this one. So in France in 1938, Ferdinand Lop, he made some uh, some really good promises if uh, if he oh, was yeah. to get in. So oh, yeah. we got uh, the, the relocation of Paris to the countryside. Phys- physically relocating the city brick by bit. I, I'm not, I'm not, no, I, I don't know. I didn't go into, I didn't delve into it underneath, but he was yeah. going to relocate Paris to the countryside so that the residents could enjoy fresh air. What would happen to the current Paris? Did he, did he make Maybe clear? it was just renaming it, who knows? Renaming, I mean, right. it's, okay. I, I, like many campaign promises, yeah. there's, you know, dig a little bit beneath the surface yeah. and you find that they're very much built on a layer of sand and you're just going to sink. The, 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 the God is not in the detail with that particular... There is no detail. There is no detail. No, no just like his uh, the creation of a Ministry of Health and Tobacco and a Ministry <laughs> of Sex and Folklore. So what's the link? It's like very there? Harry Potter, isn't it? It is. A Health and Tobacco one, you can sort of see the link. Or link. Uh, although in 1938 it wasn't clear whether the French considered health and tobacco to be sort of opposites or, 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 or bedfellows. Yes. Um, but sex and folklore. It depends what you're into. Right. Is there a link between sex and folklore? Uh, not something I'm into, so I couldn't answer that, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> not as far as I'm aware. Well, do you, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Government departments, um, their role in this country, and I, I think actually from what I know, French politics um, and French government is generally regulatory. So one would assume that the Ministry of Sex in France would have some sort of regulatory role over people's bedtime habits. Is that how you see it? You would have thought that Ferdinand Lop envisaged this policy. I, I mean, if I'm entirely honest, I, I read it and it just made me smile because I didn't really think much deeper than that. Just like his eliminate, he would he promised you know the elimination of poverty after 10 p.m. Um, you know, it's that's a very that's a very precise hour for which poverty yeah. would not exist. Um, is it because everybody's asleep and they're dreaming of riches? We mock though, but we, we do mock these things, and they, they are clearly some of these proposals seem absurd. But are they any more absurd than some of the stuff we've seen in recent times? Three hundred and fifty million pounds a week for the NHS if you leave the European Union. I think um, it's I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where you've got you've got headlines. Um, what sits under them is is highly unachievable. Um, one of my favourites is uh, came from a screaming Lord Such in nineteen sixty three promising 
that he would use the European Union's overproduction of butter to create a giant ski slope. It's almost like when you read back through these headlines, there's a, there's a, there's a certain amount of irony, isn't there, in terms of you could literally say anything as ridiculous as heated seats for pensioners and putting joggers to good social use by forcing them to power treadmills to <laughs> generate electricity. You know, you literally could string... It's like that word game where you just pick random words to make up, I don't know, your pet and your and your your street the first street you lived in and it creates certain types of names for you we all know where we're going with that one but also you know a band and stuff like that you could literally just take random words string them together in terms of a headline when it comes to election campaigns um and and voila you have something that you can say but you don't necessarily have any means to deliver or any understanding and people start to pick them apart and and that's when you see in many cases politicians just don't have any answers because they haven't really thought about what they're saying. We've we've went to this sort of tree race the the campaign has sort of moved rapidly onto the planting of trees with 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 the three main political parties sort of trying to outbid each other on how many trees they're going to um, plan. So yes the Tories... The most modest. Most modest at 30 million trees. Lib Dems came in at 60 million and Labour came in, well, as you'd expect, with a very realistic 2 billion trees. I mean, 2 billion. billion. On what timetable? Did they they, put By 2040, I believe it was. Right, that's quite a lot of trees in quite a short period of time, isn't it? 2 billion trees. I mean, where they're all going to live. Yeah, we're, exactly. We've got to, we've got to build houses as well. Are they going to, are they going to be able to be inside the houses? You know, or? I mean, uh, so this is alongside, I guess, lower, higher taxes, getting tough on crime, shrinking the size of the government, creating jobs, reducing national debt, improve the NHS. And, oh, by the way, when are we going to start planting those two billion trees? Yeah. You know, it's it's huge, huge promises on a, on a grand scale. It's actually, that's a, actually a serious point, an important point, is that... A, Beyond all of the, the sort of eye-catching retail offer that we get from these um, the parties, they, be they mainstream parties or the, be they um, uh, deliberately um, satirical parties like the Monster Raving Loonies or Lord Buckethead, a lot of what politicians offer are fundamentally contradictory. They offer, as you say, lower taxes and more expenditure. Um, and we've seen that, I think, in this campaign, is that Everything, all of the parties are trying to outbeat each other on on, on, on gifts to the public, um, with no real way of paying for them. And one could one could ask, is that really any more ridiculous than offering a ministry of sex for French citizens? Or legalizing human meat? Legalizing human meat. Legal, that was one promise um, made by um, Vermin Supreme. If elected, he will legalize human meat. I mean, where where they live, I don't know. Goodness me. But, yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous headlines. And I think, you know, Ali and I were talking earlier about the fact that people still go and vote on the day. So Mm. it's either, you know, the debate is, are there just a lot of disillusioned people going to vote on the day? Or is it a case of, you know, as was uh, two people in America did a bit of a study on this, that actually the lead up, the campaigns and the lead up to election day actually have no impact on what happens on the day. Well, if we go back to the American election, Ali, one of Donald Trump's um, headline promises was to build a wall between Texas and Mexico, or the whole United States and Mexico, along the border, and have the Mexicans pay for it. 
Yeah, a bit outlandish, isn't it? But uh, but clearly works. But this is the thing because you, whilst you're campaigning, you create these promises over timescales. For example, with the trees for 2040, Labour isn't going to be in, well. It might well be in government by 2040, but presumably not from a continuous period. How are they going to see that through? How are they going to make that happen? But also, then you come into the whole narrative of the leader of the party versus parliament where you have a leader who has kind of a really set vision in mind and then can create the narrative that actually it's parliament that holding them back is it's everyone that comes behind that that is voting against these things and that is where you get quite a divisive narrative which can be quite dangerous it is i mean it does seem to break down to trust i mean the we the, the ones recently that i think were damaging on trust were the 350 million pounds for the nhs on the leave campaign um there has been the Conservatives. This campaign fell into a, into real difficulties with this fifty thousand new nurses, which, when they were asked to quantify where these nurses are going to come from and how are they going to recruit these nurses, and actually are they new at all or are they just repeats of nurses who are already in enrolled, they were unable to do so. And yeah. the, the, you had Labour's promises around the the tax only hitting the the richest bracket. Then yeah. once the people started, once people started calculating, it, actually, it hit all, it hit everybody. Yeah, it hit everybody. It hit people that it possibly couldn't even afford to pay it. But that that details was left behind as well. So that yeah, fell it, into the same. That's a, that was another example that they would, if any people the only people who were going to be paying more taxes or more income tax were. People who are earning more than eighty thousand, which is the top four percent of earners in the country, and as you say, when that was unpacked, it it, it didn't no, it, it, that yeah. didn't it didn't reflect reality. There was also this uh, uh, Labour promise, which was for broadband for every man, woman, dog, goldfish in the country, regardless of whether they live like me in a London suburb with a fibre optic cable the size of a baby's arm running down the street, or whether they live in a Scottish Hebridean island with you looking to get a bit of copper wire. People don't believe these nurses' broadband tax pledges are deliverable. They don't believe them, do they? No, and why should they? They have no kind of track record, particularly if you haven't been in government in kind of recent history. You have no way of proving that you're going to be able to make these promises a reality. And also you're not held to account when, unless it comes to the next general election and then people kind of look at, at what you've achieved. But it's not surprising that people don't believe them because I don't even think that the politicians themselves believe that this can happen you know a leader can make a certain amount of claims but ultimately it's their cabinet that have to deliver that and knowing that you've got the goods to back something up is not very easy until you're in that position of kind of building your cabinet putting your people together it's just a one-way broadcast stream isn't it an election campaign there's there's little want for real genuine engagement from people uh, there's inconsistent messaging. So you've got the leaders saying one thing and you've got, you know, whoever's doing the campaign potentially saying another. There's no recognisable look and feel to any of the campaigns. You've got um, you've got stuff happening on social media. You've got stuff happening on TV. You've got the debates. None of them really join up together. Um, and as we've said, there's, there's been studies that show there is very little impact on the day. So it's it's... You know, it's an interesting one to talk about, you know, is the focus of the of the political parties on themselves and what they can actually truly deliver? Or is it on what other people are doing, what other parties are doing, in which case we've seen, you know, we've seen fake manifestos set up, didn't we, through this one? And we've seen doctored images of the Labour leader. Um, JFC as oh, opposed yes. to KFC, you know. So there, there's all this almost guerrilla tactics going on as well. Um, well, you do. So you do have that, which is in terms of kind of creating memes and creating funny content from what people have said, which is in some way kind of part and parcel of social media. But also you have quite 
you know, quite disruptive fake news, which comes in and really does kind of change the whole narrative. You had the Conservatives doctoring an interview with Keir Starmer, oh, yes. saying that he'd been massively, you know, massively misquoting him on Brexit and his position. Mm. And that, in isolation, maybe doesn't seem like a dangerous tactic. But if you think that someone would look at that, not having seen the interview, and that's all they take away from it, that is potentially disruptive to someone's point of view. It could be very influential and not necessarily in the way that you'd hope. I think if you track back the history of political campaigning and political campaigns since the post-war era, um, you can see a, a decline in, in, in public trust into what politicians yeah. say. You can yeah. map it quite clearly. If When we came out of the war in '45. Um, Labour famously had a very incredibly ambitious proposal to create the National Health Service and build homes for heroes and all that sort of stuff Um, and were believed Attlee was elected on the back of that despite Winston Churchill being seen as a war hero and they delivered on it and if you mark it from that point the only way has been down and I think actually now we are in this sort of post-trust age where people simply don't believe a word that comes out of anybody's mouth and you sort of wonder what is the point of a political campaign from a marketing standpoint if no one believes anything you say. Well exactly I think the problem here is that promises have become so much more transient than they were before if you put a promise on a billboard on a poster on a leaflet through someone's door that feels like a real stake in the ground and a real kind of immovable promise that you can't necessarily show away from with the 24-hour rolling social media news you can put promises out left right and center the leader could put out a promise that the party doesn't necessarily back you've got these competing narratives and you haven't got the um the same kind of being held to account you haven't got the same stake in the ground feeling that print and the other kind of more traditional mediums have to them social media is a much more transient way of putting a campaign message out there which is you know, that becomes a problem when you're thinking about holding people to account and seeing them through. But it's like you say, there's no accountability, is there? So you you can put the promises out there and it's almost like people expect now to be to be lied to or it's just noise, isn't it? It's absolute noise. Or you have people like President Trump who just say they didn't say it or it's fake news. Or delete you know? it. If or it's on social it, media, yeah. you can get rid of it instantly. Mm. Has the needle swung then from being a battle for a trust to battle for attention, that actually the creation of noise is the whole point of this stuff. It's almost like make it so noisy that confusion reigns and on the day you wake up, you, ha- you go in and you, you, you probably end up voting for who you've always voted for because it takes more time to actually go through and try and understand each party's political agenda and what they can give to you. As much as I disagree with guerrilla tactics and with the whole kind of noisy, disruptive environment that we're in now, to think of your average voter having to kind of navigate through the tidal wave of information that's coming through and also the uh, the whole kind of language barrier that there is with politics it's so complicated trying to understand it even as someone that has a vested interest in it so if you don't it must be even more confusing to try and keep up to date with everything that's going on so as much as it might be a kind of poor marketing tactic to put out as much noise as you can ultimately that does mean that people know what your party stand for which is more than can be said for some of them look at the way the campaign started and got to this point, what that would bear bear you out, that actually people end, do end up voting on their values and it just becomes tribal again. And then you've got the polls. Yep. Yeah, polls, 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 you know, and, mm. and it's it's a, just a constantly moving feast and that may swing pump some people's use to go, okay, I will vote for who I was going to vote for or 
you know, as one poll we've seen in the lead up to this election showed, you know, actually, if you were going to vote for a certain party, there's actually no point because they're so far behind. So yes. then it becomes a, a tactical. Who do I not want to get in? It becomes an unpopularity contest rather than a popularity yes. contest. All you're kind of basing these things on is who is less unpopular than mm. the other. That's all it's about, really, unfortunately, in this day and age. Um, who, who do you dislike the least? Exactly, exactly. But also, I think the European elections was a really interesting example of that earlier mm. this year, about having that consistency of messaging and how having the really uh, joined up offer that was understandable because arguably that should have been a race between the Brexit party and Change UK because if you look at the court in there kind of fall naturally on both sides of it on the Brexit debate but actually Change UK struggled so much to kind of bring that offer together and make it really clear to people exactly what they stood for that on the side of their bus they had for remain for a people's vote those are two conflicting things. What you're saying is you yeah. want a second referendum, but then you also want to revoke Article 50. So that doesn't necessarily marry up. And they had a whole kind of string of misfortune with their name, with the logo, the whole... It was just kind of a comedy of errors, really, unfortunately. Um, and so you had Lib Dems come in and just totally swing a massive amount of votes, which I don't think Change UK expected. But it's because the Brexit party had a really consistent message. You knew exactly what they stood for. It was there on the paper in front of you. There was no question about what they wanted. And that is where it becomes difficult to kind of split hairs between people. If you don't know exactly what you're voting for and what the offer is that's on the ballot paper in front of you, how can you make an informed decision? So the single issue, do this, the get Brexit done thing, is quite potent. I think it's quite effective. I think this, I mean, let's face it, this vote is you can have all of the election, all of the promises listed of what they're going to do. You know, two billion trees, 30 billion trees, I don't know, all of those things. I think the main thing in people's minds is going to be in or out of Europe. Which one's going to keep us in? If you want to stay in, you're going to vote one way. If you want out, you want to vote the other way. So, you know, the rest of the headlines are just noise, as we know, but they become even less relevant because no one's thinking about what happens after people just want this decision don't they of in or out in opinion polls the nhs has just overtaken brexit as the number one issue that people are voting on which i think is really interesting and probably a result of this whole kind of media storm around the fact that the conservatives are going to sell off the nhs allegedly but labor want to invest a massive amount of money in it and so it's almost that paranoia the misinformation the fake news about what political parties are promising to do that fear of not knowing and not having a really clear party line on it is almost overtaking the one issue that's dominated Parliament for three years. So it shows the power of having that message. So single issue messaging is strong, but that, that, that issue can change in the course of a campaign. Massively. And that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. yeah. But it still means that you have to have a clear policy on that particular issue, the issue that is salient. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, Change UK are a particularly kind of potent example because they didn't anticipate to have an election so quickly where they would have to make their party line absolutely crystal clear. So they did have the series of misfortunes, which probably explains some of their failure in that election. Um, but ultimately, they were thinking long term. They were thinking about a, a party name, a logo, a manifesto that didn't just focus on the single issue. But actually, if that issue is front of mind and that is what your voters care about, that is absolutely what you need to address. Maybe not in isolation entirely, but it needs to be front and centre of the offer that you're putting out. So this, this, this sort of air war, if you like, to try and grab attention and then try to narrow down your, your messaging to something that is potent, 
has led to some very unusual techniques, hasn't it, in the modern age, which we completely counter to marketing principles. I mean, one phenomenon that's appeared literally in the last two or three years is something that our listeners will have to uh, forgive the profanity, but this is the technical term for it, we'll try not to repeat it, is shitposting, which is that uh, this technique that you put out awful advertisements, badly put together, using awful fonts... Poorly designed. Poorly designed, with sometimes cluttered messaging, just so you can get people talking about it. Does it work? Well, I think what it succeeds very well in doing is taking voter attention away from the issues that really matter. So you think about the Conservatives put out a a hideous Comic Sans image saying, get Brexit done... I mean, Comic Sans is probably the memeiest font you could ever use and mm. perfect for social media. But I think that what they're trying to do is turn the conversation away from the actual message. If you can get people attacking the delivery of it rather than the actual message itself, you're moving the narrative away from the things that really matter. So the conversation isn't about Brexit. It isn't about their policy. It's about the way that they've put it out. It's still the party they're talking about, isn't it? It's still, yeah, they're still being talked about. By using this sort of really uh, poor design quality, they're creating that separation between a sort of metropolitan elite, wealthy, London agency probably quite Remainy uh, uh, sort of uh, archetype with a sort of more down-to-earth, perhaps a little bit Levy, um, provincial uh, or regional uh, archetype. And by doing that, they're creating a sort of subliminal message that actually we're about, we're about the salt of the earth, not these fancy uh, pro-Europeans in London. That's do you think there's some truth in that? Do you, uh, do you think they're that clever? <laughs> well, Let's keep I, 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 Yeah, I would argue not. I think that's really interesting, though. I wonder if that is true, because we've seen particularly social media, um, parties using social media to try and get people who are normally off-grid, who normally wouldn't engage with these types of messages, probably in any walk of life, but particularly in terms of digital. But actually, because politics has kind of seeped into the pore of every digital experience that you have, it's impossible to get away from. So I wonder if that is them trying to target the kind of underground people who are probably aren't the ones posting about their views on Brexit, but would respond really well to subliminal messaging that they wouldn't even kind of expect to receive or, or have any influence over their voting opinion. You're sceptical, Gemma. Well, you th- I mean, you'd say that. We, we do, obviously, anyone who's watched The Great Hack um, and and those that sort of film and read about that is, you know, there is some very highly targeted micro-segmentation. If you believe those conspiracy theories, then, um, you know, there, there are gr- vulnerable groups or groups, pockets of people in certain maybe villages or towns where they are being, you know, heavily bombarded with very, very specific messages, which effectively is akin to brainwashing, is it not? You know, if you're going to change somebody's complete view... Um, and, the, you know, there's been a lot of talk and the Great Hack deals with it very, very sort of clearly in terms of what happened there. So, you know, I, I can say, are they clever enough? Maybe they are. I don't know. I, it's For me, it's all just it's all just very, very noisy and trying to find the truth in a build-up to, a, to a, an election, trying to find the truth or trying to find something that you actually believe in is, is nigh on impossible because you can read a message, you can start digging into it and then you'll see a debate and you'll see somebody then will question something which makes you then question something. The media comes in and they just kibosh it. Then you've got you know people who give some very, very clear views on why it can't happen and suddenly you go, okay, what I was believing in 
suddenly is impossible to deliver anyway. So then you're back to square one. So I think it's it's a very, very difficult path to navigate to actually make an informed decision. Labour have done the complete opposite, haven't they? They've gone with the agency style, which is probably employed directly by the Labour Party, but young people, very tech-savvy, short one-minute videos in beautiful HD of people in which they think Labour voters will identify with, younger people often. Um, this is this one that was memorable, uh, released the other day, which, which showed a sort of past, present and future uh, Labour voter and what they felt they were going to get out of life and how that's changed and actually their, their expectations have, have fallen as, uh, as, as the world around them has changed, which is pretty impressive. But all of this stuff has taken over what used to be a big part of political campaigns, which were the giant, big-hitter billboard adverts from Saatchi and Saatchi, who originally worked for the Conservative Party and then switched yep. to the Labour Party, um, and which were really interesting sort of... A lot of interesting marketing commentary was based on. You know, Labour isn't working. These very, very memorable poster campaigns seem to me to have you know, well, they're, 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 Yeah, they have, and yeah. we've had, you know, in the, the lead-up to this uh, election, is it a record number of young people voting, to, uh, registering to vote, which, you know, would be very, very interesting to see what impact that has on the day. So, you know... Apparently Stormzy calling for this actually led to a, a notable, statistically significant it was, uptick it in was registrations. It was over... Um, so Adele was on Adele Twitter. Well. Adele on Twitter, yeah. she came forward. Uh, various Instagram um, accounts like the Lad Bible and all that, have you go into their stories and it's swipe up to register to vote. So, you know, social media is having a, I think, having a very big impact, I think, on, on younger people registering to vote and actually taking this seriously. How they're navigating what you know who they're voting for and why is 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 really interesting but doesn't this come back to the values thing is that people now are more willing to trust um, musicians Stormzy Adele yes. and, and or, or their favorite Instagram accounts like the lad bible than they are politicians well, it's like the influencers isn't it people are influenced by the people that they trust and we go back to the trust question here don't we but then you know you say you talk about Labour's slick one-minute videos that are done and they're beautifully done and the people in them are representative of the people they want to vote for them. And then you have the leader of the Labour Party who does a, a really disastrous debate on television. Yes. So, you know, he's the leader of that entire party. So to Ali's point earlier, is it the leader or is it the party? And those two, there's very grey area when those two start to merge, isn't it, as to what do you believe? There's a disconnect, isn't there, really? Huge disconnect. Absolutely. But also, I think you made a really interesting point about how marketing has shifted for campaigns. So it has almost entirely gone on social media. In the last election, three million pounds were spent on Facebook advertising from all the political parties combined. Um, and politicians are really having to adapt to changing media consumption habits. But the problem is regulation just hasn't caught up. So, the you know, obviously billboards are slightly different because they're out in a public space. You can kind of disengage with them. TV, though, was really heavily regulated as to how many minutes of a political party you'd see, how that was signposted, you know, making it really obvious that you were about to see an advertisement. But now this is happening 24 hours on social media. There's no getting away from it. And regulation has not caught up with the amount of noise that people are getting. And like Gemma said, I watched The Great Hack with great horror, um, seeing how they targeted people, not just people that they thought were likely to vote for their party, but people who were undecided. And those really kind of vulnerable swing people who could really heavily influenced the vote one way or another and targeted them with anti-other party messages um, to really 
you know, not just sway them towards one party, but really heavily sway them from another, which was their greatest tactic to not only bring the votes to them, but just to take them away from other parties. And that is really scary to me. Do you think the parties have given up trying to convince the other tribe to vote for them and are actually now just trying to sweep up their own core vote? Well, you say that, but this is where social media is interesting because, you know, three million people might see your video that you put out. But if those three million people are going to vote for you anyway, then it's not really that influential. It might make them feel more like real advocates and real ambassadors for the party but it isn't going to change their voting decision if they're already going to vote for you and I think that's why you see such a huge amount spent on these platforms to reach the people that maybe weren't either weren't going to vote for you or just weren't Weren't going to vote yeah weren't going to vote at all absolutely which is no bad thing if you're persuading people to do that but it becomes difficult when you're influencing people kind of against one core party towards another um and so that does get really, really difficult, yeah. Is the die cast now, Gemma, or are we, is the post-trust age with us to stay? We're never going to go back to the quality of debate and discussion that we had in the post-war area, the immediate post-war area. Is it done? I think there's a chance for it to come back. Yeah. I'm usually quite sceptical about most things, but I think, you know, with, with the generation coming through and more people, younger people registering to vote, maybe they will hold people to you know to account on on delivering maybe they will start to become the future leaders um that next that generation coming up being the future leaders of these parties and maybe then we'll see a step change right now nothing's going to change it's interesting the point though is that frustration can be a powerful force can't it for change and maybe there will be a change and we don't nothing's forever so maybe this period is also temporary what do you think ellie I hope so. I do think there's a risk that there's almost a paranoia about politicians about what they can say now, because even if they do all pledge to play by the book from now on, you know, stick to the rules, absolutely. The fact that misinformation has kind of been in this space at all, I think, is quite dangerous and quite scary. And almost the paranoia that someone could be lying, even if they're not, I think is quite powerful and will likely be quite influential for voters. So I hope that things will change, but I'm I'm not so sure. I think that once distrust starts to seep in, it's really hard to get that out. And also, we've, we've, it's sad that we're as a society where we expect to be lied to, and we actually, we just, we just take it, don't we? We just, it's just part of today's society. Living in such an open, transparent world, then, you know, you, you can't, it's very difficult to tell what is the truth and what is a lie, so you just kind of expect to be lied to, especially through a, a political campaigning up to an election. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's the, the nature of the game. Maybe it is. Maybe it will change, though. Gemma, Let's Ali, hope. Thanks very much. Hope one day, sometime soon, your political dreams will come true. Thank you. Thank you. Join us in the new year where we talk about marketing's lurch from consumption to constriction. CIM Podcasts.